We hope you enjoy this podcast from Light Church Edithburg. To find out more about us, visit lightchurch.co. Everyone, if you could uh, start taking your seats, that'd be great. It's good to see everyone here this morning. It's great to be enjoying the not very windy days, beautiful still water. Now, I said to Darren, if you get the kids pastor to speak, well, we're going to have props and we're also going to start with a game. Ha, ha, ha. So, I need some uh, perhaps not so volunteers. I reckon, can we have Sarah and Jess? Could you come up and, and grab a corner of this beautiful example of linen here? And could we also have, oh, Michelle, could you come up too and grab another corner? Michelle, could you, yep, come up and grab another corner. Now, I want you to be thinking, what on earth am I about to do? What is this, what is this all about? Di, seeing as you're standing up, could you come and grab a, grab a corner? All right. No, I'm not going to jump on it. All right. I'm going to put Deer Tiger on here. I want you to see if you can throw it up. Don't throw it too high, but see if you can give that tiger some air. Whoa. Oh, well done. Can we do it again? Whoa. <laughs> All right. Now, maybe over this direction, can you be, keep, keep your eyes out? Let's see if someone can take a catch. Can, you, can, we, can we fling it over here? Ready, set, go. <laughs> Whoa, nice catch. Well done. All right, throw it back. Can we fling it over, over this way? Can we get a catch from over here? <laughs> Whoa, yes. Nice one. All right, can we just throw it in here? Can we, can we bounce two up and catch it? Yep. Can we catch them both? Whoa. <laughs> Now, I couldn't do two, but can they do three? (laughs) 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 Whoa, well done. Two out of three. That's not bad. All right. We might put them back. Now, there's another lot there for afterwards if you want to, if you feel like you need to have a go afterwards. Um, If you want to see if you can do better. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Now, what's going to happen? What am I preaching on today? It's supposed to, it's supposed to just get your minds ticking over, wondering what's going to go on. In kids' church, um, since Easter, uh, between Easter and Pentecost, we're, we're learning about how did Jesus' followers keep following Jesus when Jesus wasn't with them anymore? So that's, that's been our focus over the past couple of weeks. And we've talked about uh, Jesus' uh, great commission where he told the disciples to go and, go and make disciples and baptise. Uh, we've been talking about Peter and, and Paul and, and some of those early church leaders. And today we're going to talk about, about Peter. But let's um, do a quick quick recap of what's been going on. Jez, could we have um, Acts chapter 1 verse 8? So the book of Acts 
begins with Jesus giving the disciples some instructions. And he says to them, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is how the book of Acts starts. And it's actually how the book of Acts is sort of laid out. So you see, Jesus has commanded them to go to Jerusalem. That's the kind of the centre of their world, where the temple is, where God is supposed to live. Then they're supposed to go to Judea. That's kind of the state that Jerusalem's in, the local area. Then they're supposed to go to Samaria. Now, you've pro- you may have heard of the Samaritans. They were kind of cousins of the Jewish people, but the cousins that they didn't talk to. Um, the left out ones, uh, but kind of part of the family, but the black sheep. So G- Jesus has commanded them to go to them. But then after that, to go to the ends of the earth, to give this uh, message about Jesus to the ends of the earth. And so this is what happens in the book of Acts. It begins in Jerusalem. Now, it spends quite a bit of time in Jerusalem, and it seems to me that maybe those uh, apostles, the, the first followers of Jesus, were not very keen to move out of Jerusalem. They stay there quite a long time, and the only reason that they moved out of Jerusalem into Judea was because they started getting persecuted, so they needed to run away and hide. So in chapter 8 of Acts, we're told that the apostles were scattered, and soon after... Um, we discover that Philip, he goes to Samaria. So they've gone Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And then um, he also speaks to an Ethiopian who's kind of maybe come from the ends of the earth, but Philip's not going there yet. So they haven't got to the ends of the earth yet. But our story today begins uh, in Acts chapter 10. And if if you've got a Bible, we will be telling this story um, in Acts chapter 10 today. And this is kind of a story in three acts. It begins in Caesarea. The next act is in a, in a place called Joppa. And then Act 3 is back in Caesarea again. So Act 1 begins in Caesarea. It's a town by the sea. And you might have uh, recognised by the name Caesarea that it was a Roman city. It was built by one of the Herods to try and impress the Roman emperor. And so, although it was in Israel, it wasn't part of Israel. It was its own kind of little Roman Roman colony where it is. So, in actual fact, Caesarea, by the sea, is the beginning of the ends of the earth. That's where the ends of the earth begins. And so that's what's happening here. We are taken to the beginning of the ends of the earth. It was a a city of of conflict. So when um, the Judeans were upset with Rome, they went to Caesarea to protest. um, And they did that a number of times. And it was also, because it was a Roman city, it was the centre of the imperial cult or the worship of Caesar. And that's what happened there. And that'll be important a little bit later on. And we're introduced 
to someone who's, who lives in Caesarea, Cornelius. We're told that Cornelius is a Roman army officer who lives a godly life. So he's doing his best to follow God. But if we think about it, Cornelius is a bit of a, a walking contradiction because he's trying to follow the God of Israel, the Jewish God, but his job is to make sure the Jewish people are kind of kept under the thumb of the Roman Empire and, and obey Rome's laws. So if we stop and think of for a moment, Cornelius is a pretty conflicted guy and he's in an awkward situation. That he's supposed to be loyal to Rome, he's supposed to be loyal to Caesar and all the things that come along with that, like, uh, like worshipping in, in the Roman temples and, and giving sacrifices and stuff like that to Caesar. But at the same time we're told that he lives a godly life, that he gives to the poor and that he prays constantly, constantly to God. I was wondering, I was thinking about um, you know, Cornelius, he, he kind of seems like the good bad guy. I don't know if you've ever seen, perhaps, uh, perhaps in like World War II war movies, you know, there's the, there's the German soldier and you think he should be the bad guy, but actually he, he shows mercy or he does the wonderful thing. It's, I don't know, I, I think, think it might be something like that. He's sort of the good, the good bad guy. So we're introduced to Cornelius, this pretty conflicted character in a, in a bit of an awkward situation. And he's praying to God. And as he's praying, an angel comes to him. And the angel says, God has seen you, your good works, your prayers, and God wants you to do something. Go and get Simon. Simon's in Joppa, staying at Simon's house. Now, this is a bit of a confusing, uh, confusing instruction. He's given, he says, Simon called Peter, who's living at, or staying with Simon the Tanner. We might talk about the Simons in a little bit later. But um, what we're going to do now is something that we do in Kids Church a bit. We wonder, and we're going to do this a couple of times this morning. So this is your chance to stop and think, think about what's going on in this story. To maybe put yourself somewhere in the story and not come up with sort of the, the right Bible quiz answer, but allow yourself to be surprised by the story. Because I think, um, you know, we're told that, that, that the scriptures are, are God-breathed and I think where the breath of God is, is in the, is in the gaps it's between the words on the page where we read it and then us. Somewhere in there, that's where the, the breath of God is. That's what it means for Scripture to be inspired, is that it affects us all and we can, we can be changed by it and read it differently in different situations. So I wonder, Cornelius went to pray did he actually expect God to speak to him? And I wonder, for us, when we go to pray, do we actually expect God to speak? 
And then, when Cornelius went to pray, not only did he, did he expect to hear from God, did he expect, expect to actually do something in answer to his prayers? And the same thing for us. When we pray, do we ever expect that we could be the answer to our prayers? Maybe God is calling us to then go and do something about what we're praying about. And then I wonder, how did Cornelius feel when he was told to go and get Simon from Simon's house? Now, this isn't an answer, but a little bit of information. That Simon, that name. So, we've got two Simons here, Simon Peter, who's one of Jesus' disciples, and Simon the Tanner. Simon and Simon, the name Simon had only become popular in the sort of that generation and the reason why was because there was a, a Jewish revolutionary called Simon Maccabeus. Now you might have heard of the Maccabean revolt where the Jewish people resisted against Rome. So Cornelius the Roman soldier is sent to get Simon which is going to remind him of these Jewish revolutionaries, that he's supposed to be keeping, uh, keeping sort of downtrodden, stopping them from revolting against Rome. So once again, um, we're reminded that Cornelius is in, a, in a, uh, a tricky situation, a conflicted situation. Who is he supposed to be loyal to? Is he loyal to the God of Israel? Or is he supposed to do his job and be loyal to Caesar? But we're not not given an inkling by by Luke when he writes this. We're not given an inkling of him being uh, kind of unsure about anything. He he commands a couple of his household servants and also a soldier to go and get Peter, Simon Peter, who is in Joppa. So Act 2 begins in Joppa. It's lunchtime the next day. Joppa's about 50 k's away from Caesarea, so probably an overnight trip. So it's lunchtime the next day, and we're at Simon the Tanner's house, and Simon Peter goes to pray. Now, it says that Simon Peter was hungry. And what do you do when you're hungry? You go and pray while someone else gets your lunch for you. And that's what it says. It said he prayed while someone else got his lunch ready. (laughs) And as Simon Peter was praying in his hungry state, he has a vision. And here's where the sheets come and the animals. He has a vision of a sheet coming down from heaven. And on that sheet are, I don't know, prawn crackers? A crayfish, some oysters, maybe pork belly, pork chops. Goanna says there are reptiles there too. If you haven't had goanna before, I can assure you it is delicious. Probably as good as pork belly. Crocodile, maybe. Well, not really. He has a dream of animals. He tells us he has a dream of animals, birds, reptiles, all sorts of animals coming down on this sheet. 
It's probably actually a mix of animals. It might be those animals that he's not allowed to eat, but they're all mixed up with the animals that he is allowed to eat, which makes the animals that he is allowed to eat unclean as well because they're mixing up. So he has this dream of the animals and a voice comes from heaven. These animals coming down. It says, Simon Peter, kill and eat. And Simon says, no. No, Lord, I'm not going to eat those. I have never eaten anything that is impure or unclean. And the sheep comes down again. Take it, Peter. Kill and eat. And Peter says, no. It tells us that this happens three times. And it doesn't tell us, and this is what I think is really interesting, it doesn't tell us what Peter said in the end. So you can only assume that he said no three times. I'm guessing that he said no. And then we've got, um, can we have verse 17 up? Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? And just then, so this in kids' church I said, so Peter sees this vision and then he goes downstairs. What do you think he saw when he went downstairs? And someone said, lunch! I don't know. But these men sent by Cornelius, they made it. And um, they were standing outside the gate. And they asked if, uh, if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. And Peter said, do we have this, this one too, Jez? This next verse? No, maybe we don't. Oh, yeah. Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? And now, in this translation, it says, why have you come? But those words in the Greek, it's actually a little bit more like, uh, what are the charges against me? Because if you remember who Cornelius sent with him, he sent two servants and a soldier. So Simon Peter, he's escaped from Jerusalem because the followers of Jesus are being persecuted there. Um, His leader, Jesus was crucified by the Romans. He's trying to run away from people who are persecuting him and who rocks up on his doorstep in this kind of safe house that he's run to? A Roman soldier. So Peter says, "Uh, I'm the one you're looking for. What are the charges against me? That's basically what he's saying. And um, they don't really give him an answer. They just tell him to come with them and so Peter does what he's told. So this is the end of our second act, our scene in Joppa. So I wonder, the same as Cornelius, when Peter prayed, did he expect God to speak to him? And similarly, when we pray, do we expect God to speak to us? And even more, do you think Peter expected to be challenged when he prayed? And the same with us. When we spend time in prayer, do we expect that God will actually challenge us? Challenge us to think in different ways and to live in different ways? I, um, I think that 
you can almost be sure uh, that, you know, if someone's got a word for you and they're a bit confused about it and it seems a bit weird and they're a bit reluctant to tell you, I think those are the times when it's actually a word from God. I know of one time someone came up to me and they were visiting me. They said, oh, I really, I have this picture in my mind and I think God wants me to tell you about it. But it's just so weird. It doesn't make any sense. And they told me and it didn't make any sense. And it had, didn't make sense for years and years, but it stuck in my mind and and. I think actually it was <laughs> a vision from God. And uh, it's only years later that it's come to sort of make sense to me. But I think those are the times when you're perplexed like Peter is, confused. What is this? That's, well, that's when we're actually being challenged by God. And so the story continues. Act three. We're back in Caesarea again. And um, Peter arrives in Cornelius' house. There's a lot of people there to see him and to listen to him. And so Peter is accepted into the house. And he says, he says something interesting. Now, we often, if you know this story, you've probably brushed over it a bit because you've kind of been told how the story goes. But in verse 28, it says, Peter told them, it's against our law to come into your home and to eat with you. Um, but God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure and unclean. I think of what Peter's just said. You should no longer think of anyone as impure and unclean. What did he have a vision about? Food. It's not immediately obvious that those two things are connected. That the vision about food is actually about people. Remember how I said it was probably a mix of clean and unclean animals mixed together. There's this Jewish tradition of telling stories where um, different ethnicities, different people groups are portrayed as animals, different kinds of animals. There's something um, that was written a couple of hundred years uh, before this, kind of in between when the Bible um, was written and then Jesus came. In between that time, there was a bunch of Jewish literature written and there's a book called One Enoch. There's this part of One Enoch called The Animal Apocalypse and it basically tells the story of the Bible from Adam and Eve who are portrayed as as cattle. through to the people of Israel who are portrayed as sheep, who are then sent into exile by these wolves, and then all the, all the different nations are different animals. And we can even see that in, um, in the books that are in our own Bible, in Daniel, in Daniel chapter 7, you've got um, these beasts that are made up of all kinds of animals. And this, this beasts that are made up of uh, like leopards and eagles and other birds and, and have tusks like a, like a pig. And the reason why these beasts, and you might be familiar with them from Revelation as well, the reason why they're all kinds of animals mixed together is because that's what an empire is. It brings different nations together under the one thing. So it's quite possible that Peter, he's had this vision about food, but he's thought, oh, these are all different 
people groups that I'm supposed to, like, take in. And and the reason why I think this is because he says, I no longer think of anyone as unclean. It's not just about eating food. It's about people. And um, what I think is interesting here is that it's one thing to have your thinking changed. So Peter was perplexed when he had the vision. But then it's another thing to actually put your changed thinking into practice and to live a different way. And that's what Peter is being challenged to do here. And it's interesting because um, Peter says, now tell me why you sent me. That's the next thing he says. Tell me why you sent me. He doesn't know. He's still not sure whether he's in trouble because he's been taken there by a Roman soldier to a Roman soldier's house. And Cornelius says, I was told to send for you. What are you going to say to us? It seems to me that neither of them really know why... (laughs) why Peter is there. They're just doing what God told them. And then in verses 34 to 36, we hear um, some of Peter's speech. And I think it's amazing how this story is told because you can see that Peter is trying to, he's got some new knowledge and some new thinking. He's trying to incorporate it, but he he's, hasn't completely changed yet. I'll show you what I mean. He begins in, In verse 34, Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. And in every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. Now, this is a pretty new revelation for Peter. He may have thought that God sort of accepted people who weren't part of Israel. You know, you could be a, what Cornelius was called, a God-fearer, but you're not fully in the people of Israel, but God still loves you. You're just kind of different, you know. But, so he's talked about um, God shows no favoritism. He accepts every nation. But then in verse um, 36, he says, this is the message of good news for who? For the people of Israel. Shouldn't he be saying it's for everyone? Isn't that what his vision was all about? That God was accepting everyone? I think what's going on here is that Peter kind of knows, but he's not quite ready to put it into practice yet. He hasn't kind of seen it happen, so he's not sure. The other thing is, remember where he is. He's in Caesarea, a Roman town. And this is what he says. The message for the people of Israel, this is so you don't get offended, Romans, maybe. I think this is why he's saying this is for Israel. There is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Now, if you're grown up in the church, they're pretty normal words. But there's two words there, peace and Lord. And in the Roman Empire, one person brought peace, Caesar. I don't know if you've ever heard of Pax Romana, the Roman peace. That's what the empire was bringing, peace. But who's, who's bringing peace here? Jesus. Who is Lord of all in the Roman Empire? Caesar's supposed to be the Lord of all. But he's saying Jesus is, not Caesar. So I can understand Peter's hesitation here. 
he's kind of said, God accepts everyone, but this is the message for Israel, because I think he's a, just a bit cautious. He doesn't want to get himself in trouble. And he hasn't seen it happen yet, so he's not quite sure how it would work anyway. So then um, Peter goes on and he t- tells about Jesus' life, that he was doing good, he was healing those who were oppressed by the devil. He died on a cross and then he rose again. And then he ordered us to witness that Jesus is the judge of all. That everyone who, most translations said, everyone who believes in him, have faith in him. That's what people were called to um, have faith, it means trust or have allegiance to Caesar. That's what they were supposed to have allegiance to. He's saying, have faith in Jesus. Then you'll have your sins forgiven in his name. So Peter says these things. He says that I know that God accepts everyone, but this is kind of the message for Israel. Don't know what your message is, not sure. But before he gets to the altar call, the Holy Spirit interrupts and just falls on them. This is the Gentile version of what happens in Acts chapter 2 that we'll talk about next week, Pentecost. This is the Gentile version, the people who weren't Jewish. Uh, It says, maybe this is uh, verse, yeah, 44. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. And then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptised now that they've received the Holy Spirit just like we did? Now I think Peter was not sure that this would happen. Now I think that's why when he was kind of giving the message, he was kind of saying, this is... Israel, not sure what the message for you is. And they've come to realise that it's exactly the same. This moment, the vision, and then this experience that they're having in Cornelius's house, this has changed Peter's theology. Like he thought Gentiles were loved by God, yeah. But actually being part of God's body, actually having God in them through the Holy Spirit? Now, that's something entirely new. This is the challenging thing, I think, about this story. What changed Peter's thinking? What changed his theology and his ideas about God? It was an experience, a direct experience of God and then this direct experience with others. And I think this is challenging because we often like to prove our theology from the Bible, which is okay. But this is the way that I think it often works in people's lives. If they tell you um, experiences where they've been changed, this is usually how it happens. They have an experience, it changes them, changes the way they see the world and see God. And then they go back and read the Bible and say, Oh, I never saw that there in the Bible. I never, I never read it that way. This is new for me. And this is really challenging because it's the people who 
do terrible things. You say, oh, God told me. And that's why I think we are called to really know Jesus. We really need to know Jesus well. And then we can build uh, free and lively discernment. We can discern things in the world and see where God is already working. And I think this is a, such a challenge for us, but um, this is what Paul was doing as well. He had this experience of Jesus on the road to Damascus, and then he went back and found things in the Scriptures that he never, knew, never kind of saw. He never put the dots together. So I think that God is calling us to be open to the world, to see what is happening, see where God is already moving in the world. And then um, to allow us in community with each other to, to be changed and transformed and to see that, um, you know, God has been saying these things all along. God has been calling us and saying that um, he's already at work in the world. So, to finish up, I wonder, when we pray, when you go spend some time in prayer, hopefully this coming week, do we, do we expect God to speak to us? Do we expect God to change us? Do we expect God to help us to see the world like Jesus sees the world? And um, then, do we have the courage? This is what the Holy Spirit is for, to give us the courage to actually act in those ways that God changes us to, uh, or God is calling us to change, to act in different ways in the world, to see people in different ways. To know that God already loved them before, before we even thought about it. Those people we thought were unlovable, they were already loved. This is, um, yeah, this is, a, this is a challenge. That God is actually willing. God is ready. He's there to act, to speak to us, to change us. But are we brave enough to, to be able to be changed, to open ourselves to God? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you love each one of us, that we are precious to you, and that you loved us before we even thought of it, that you have always loved God, I pray that you'll give us the courage to be changed, to become more like Jesus, to see the world like Jesus, to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we have the power to actually act in new ways, to live as your ambassadors, to show what life is like in your world, to be loyal to you and not all the Caesars, to, to be loyal to, to you, Lord Jesus. We thank you so much for your love. And I pray now that you will strengthen us in this coming week. Strengthen us to, uh, to live as your messengers. Amen.